You can support the Double Loop Podcast by contributing at patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Thank you to our supporters, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. Greetings to New Britain, Connecticut. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. All right, Glenn, we went through an outline of the timeline of the Brandon Mayfield uh, Madrid train bombing uh, case uh, last episode. So we just kind of done an outline, uh, like I said, of the timeline. So let's talk a little more detail of that. Right. So last episode, we talked about the FBI issuing the report on March 19th, which was just a week after, essentially, the, 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 the bombing happening. Right. Going all the way through July 16th, where they finally say... Yes, we made a mistake. This latent print actually matches Daoud. Okay, right. Uh, so let's let's start a little bit with the going back to the database search. Which here's some of the information that I was incorrect in, and again, you know, various reasons why. But I, I want to go through some contrition and talk about the. Um, well, just, you know, I apologize to anyone that I, if I've misled you or gave you wrong information, but here it is. So he, the the OIG report talks about that when the the initial examiner in this case was doing the search of the latent prints from through Interpol, they actually searched three different databases. They searched a criminal database, a civil database, and a special database. And the special database, given how the United States was at that time as well, you know, after 9-11 and so forth, um, this special database was a watch list database. And I'd, I had always oh. wondered about this part of it. I'd always wondered, you know, why was Mayfield in the criminal IAFIS database? This is a felony database. Why was he even in there? And because I had always been told he was hit in the criminal, which is true, he was actually hit in the criminal, but I was always also curious about whether or not he was on some other watch list or that kind of thing as well, and that he shows up in the watch list, yes, they hit the criminal, but it's the watch list where it goes, hey, look at, you know, this person's in there too. It turns out that, well, first of all, he was hit in the criminal database. He was not hit in the civil, and he was not hit in the special database. So, really? not in either one of those databases. Yeah, I, no, this that's that's pretty critical. Yeah, because I've I've always taught that he was in there because he had been in the in the military. Right, he was in the military, but that was not one of the ones that was searched. He, I mean, there is that database, but not that database was searched. Oh. He was hit in the criminal database, and here's what I had heard. And and I'm I know the source and I'm not going to out the person, but you know, essentially someone very close to the case had said at the time he was in the criminal database for a very minor offense. And now I'm trying to remember exactly what words were said, um, but it was something along the lines of something very minor, something you know, you know, around like college years or high school years, um, you know, having to do with civil disobedience or whatever. And it turns out that the OIG report said, no, he was in the criminal database because of, and this is actually right from the report, burglary of auto. Now, I don't know if that means auto theft or I don't know what burglary of auto is. Or theft but, from, uh, right. 
Yeah. Huh. It, it, either it either he did a burglary and then stole an auto, or he stole an auto. I don't know what it is, but some kind of car, something relating to the theft of a car. But that's why he was in the criminal database, which, again, seems odd. It would be in the IAFIS felony database, but... Well, it was from 1985. Now, this is also interesting. The OIG report doesn't say this, but I'm making a couple of leaps here. Um, in 1985, that's when this happened, but it was then very quickly dismissed, and he joins the military in 1985. And, you know, there are those judges that say, look, you know, this can be probation for you, or if you, I don't know if you've heard of those judges before, yeah. you know, you're right. You go. You go do this. You go join the military. You go into you know, you know National Guard or whatever. We'll drop the charges. That wasn't that uncommon back in you know the fifties, sixties, seventies, that kind of thing. So I don't know. I mean, it seems pretty coincidental that there is this event and then he joins the military. You know, very quickly like right, right after, after that. Right. Right. But he was in the army from nineteen eighty five to nineteen ninety four which is nine years, which I also didn't know. I thought it was a very short term of service. This was nine years in the yeah, military. Yeah, that's, that's more than the minimum. Um, was yep. he in the, the Army, I'm assuming? Army. Army, so army. That, yeah. that's uh, four years, I want to say. Four or five. Right. Okay. Right. So this now fits with the part of the story where the verifier says, look, I need additional information. That's when they pull the army records. They pull additional... That's when they pull uh, the, those military records, the exemplars to compare. Initially, though, the hit in the FBI, the, the card in IAFIS, is just in the criminal. It had nothing to do with a special database or anything else. No. And... Sorry. Oh, I, oh, I was, let me just say this. Yeah. I was under the impression that he was in the criminal database for civil disobedience because he was always an advocate for civil rights and an advocate of um, Islamic rights. And I was under the impression that he was in that database for like a civil disobedience, like a sit-in at college and he gets arrested. And, um, you know, the story that I had woven together in my head, which was completely incorrect, was, okay, he's always been an advocate, an outspoken person. He gets arrested for the civil disobedience, and because it had to do with, like, religious rights, religious freedoms, that's what puts him in the special database to begin with, in the special watch. But it turns out that those two things are completely, they have nothing to do with each other. They're, he's not in the special watch database, and even though he is very involved, as we get into a little later, very involved with um, his Islamic movement and Islamic rights, and he defends, he's a, he's, a, he's a defense attorney in the United States. Right. His clients deal with or are involved in um, Islamic issues and is prejudice against you know, Islam and that kind of stuff. That doesn't have anything to do with why he's in the database, the criminal database, and he's ne definitely not in the watch list. Got it. So, and that's what I've always said to when I've been taught about this is that the examiners, when they actually made the mistake, had no idea he was uh, a Muslim, you know, no idea uh, other than what his name was, which you know obviously doesn't just the name doesn't imply you know someone uh, you know following Islam, like like uh, you know the guy who actually you know Daoud would be you know something a little bit different but just brandon mayfield doesn't imply yeah. that or even a name change like kareem abdul jabbar or right. something like right. that you know where 
you know, or, you know, Muhammad Ali or, you know, something, something along those lines. You know, it's not like any of that was available. It was Brandon Mayfield, probably white male, you know, 40 some years old or whatever. And that's probably all they're going to have access to. And and because he's not in the special database, there's no reason to even think that he's involved in any way in any of that. Now, real quick, backing up a little bit, just to make sure, you know, looking at the document now as well, I see this 1985 arrest for burglary, uh, where the charge was then later dismissed. Yep. Um, But then his his, uh, military prints were recorded in 1989. Yes. Um, so, are you saying, did you see somewhere else where it says that he went right into the military in 85? Yeah, later the report says somewhere on uh, 1985 that he was in the military from 1985 to 1994. Got it. I saw that too, Eric. I didn't know if that was a mistake or correct, but... There is a there is a discrepancy in the OIG report about eighty five and eighty nine, assuming that his prints were taken right away when he joined the military. Which is, that's what usually but, happens. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know if that's true or not because it it discusses several times his record from eighty five to ninety four. Got it. Okay. So, but you're right. It says that the prints were taken in eighty nine. All okay. right. So this individual who gets identified as the source of LP-17 from this bag uh, was this attorney working in Portland, Oregon, and he had defended a member of the Portland 7, which was this Al-Qaeda terrorist cell that was operating in Portland, gets arrested. This is all during the Patriot Act stuff, uh, you know, the right after 9-11 and these things, and Brandon Mayfield was this guy's defense attorney. Now, that's what the report talked about that was really fascinating. Why did this guy defend him? Because I, again, had this narrative in my head that Mayfield was this um, you know, Islamic sympathizer and all this other stuff. And uh, it was known that Mayfield had married an Egyptian woman, adopted her children, had converted to Islam. Like These things were had come out. But I was always um, not sure how he got involved with defending the Portland Seven. But it turns out that they had attended the same mosque together. So the mosque where his family had gone, some of the folks in the Portland Seven, that they also attended the same mosque in Portland. And so this is the connection that ties it together. And it looks like he didn't defend him in this terrorism case. He, he was his attorney for a custody dispute. Correct, um, exactly. So not yeah, really a fam- related. A family matter. Right. Right, exactly. It it changes that narrative completely in my head. And again, just incorrect information that I had had and just had, you know. Anyway, just, it, it, it was very enlightening to read those details. Okay, so uh, moving on from that, going back to the timeline here. After we... Um, we see that the report is issued on the, on the 19th. There's a little back and forth between the FBI. And on within a couple of days, the Spanish are having problems with it. That's what comes out there. We're having problems with this. So the FBI sends a chart over. And in the OIG report, they show an image of the March 22nd report or chart. So this is just a few days after the, the Spanish police are notified clearly very quickly they said we're not seeing this 
So the FBI sends over a chart, and this chart was also very eye-opening to me because it changed a whole bunch of things that I had believed about this case. The chart shows uh, 15 minutia marked up in the lower portion of the latent print. And, then, and at some point we'll put the maybe we'll put a, 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 an image of this up on our, on the site and if you haven't seen this image itself, but it shows 15 points in the lower portion and then three or five areas marked uh, with level three detail. So have you seen this chart before, Eric? Uh, I, I believe I've seen this before. It must have been like a while ago. This because this isn't usually the chart that I I remember seeing associated with this um, with this case. Well, <laughs> that's exactly it. This chart was not something that I had in my memory because the way I had remembered it was that the FBI had fifteen points, but they weren't continuous points. The way my brain remembered it is that there were eight points in the lower portion of the print. So there's this three sections, and that there were eight in the lower portion, seven of which they searched in IAFIS. I, I knew that they had searched seven in IAFIS, and this eighth one was like a dot or a little enclosure that was not searched. So I always had in my head that they had eight points in the lower portion. There were three points off to the left, what we're going to call around 10 o'clock, which was another portion of the print. And then there are another four points up towards the tip of the print, which was at about 12 o'clock, but way up towards the top. That those three and four make seven, plus the eight below, that's the 15. So in order to get their 15 points, you had to do this triple tap connection to connect everything together. That's right. how you got the 15, right? That is not the case. Because the 15 in this chart, twenty March 22nd chart, are all in the lower portion. So they had marked out 15 continuous points in the lower portion and marked nothing out in the 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock region. That was very... Because in other words, you don't need a triple tap to get your 15. Right. All 15 are in the bottom portion. And yet they only searched seven. See, in my head it was they had seven. They search those seven. It comes back. They hadn't marked up their eighth point in that region, but now the candidate comes back and that eighth point is kind of there, the one they didn't encode, and now you've got your eight points. And we'll get into this a little bit, but the FBI, at, especially at that time, was very traditional. Approach one, black or white value decision. It's either a value for ID or it's no no value. If you have enough value, then you ID it or exclude it or non-ident, they would say. So if you've got eight minutia, that's going to be a value, and you've got eight in correspondence, that's an ident. So it's, to me, it has always been the eight below, search the seven, find the eighth, you got your eight, boom, it's an ID, but right. that is not the case at all. There are 15 points marked out in the bottom. And, and you know, looking at the the known print because on the latent it's kind of hard to see sometimes exactly what they're drawing the line to to you know to mark it out uh but in the known print yeah it, all 15 points go to you know a point so what 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 page are you on in the oig report for any listener that wants to go okay and see so the... pages 44 and 45 of the full report are are, are where chart 2a and 2b are yeah and uh, 2a being the latent and 2b being the the, the known print of Brandon Mayfield. I, I think 
Yeah, the only one I'd kind of be like, yeah, I'm not sure if that's really a point is I think number 15. Um, everything oh, else yeah. is, you know, is is a legitimate minutia point. And I had a little trouble with number seven because it looks doesn't to me look like a genuine. It looks like it's just a break in the ridge. Oh, seven so seven and eight being basically the same the same thing. Yes. Yeah, yes. no, I, I agree with that. I can see that too. You know, that boy, they. It, it's really, I think, a really helpful and telling thing is to go through uh, these two images and try to to make yourself see what they were seeing, right? To right. to say, okay, point number one, I see it, and basically work backwards. Okay, I see it in the known, and then you know find it in the latent. Um, and work your way through the whole thing and making sure everything counts out right. You know, maybe even just starting from the dot, the famous dot in this print, which is marked right. as point number six. Six, yep. And then, and then going back through and seeing everything count out and finding it there. And really trying to, to encode this upon your brain of as you're going through and doing this, what does this feel like, right? What, what am I, how do I feel as I'm kind of making all these points fit? So that then later on, as you if you ever do start doing this in an actual case, then you can remember back to doing it in the Mayfield printing. And you know, this is what I was doing in that in Mayfield's comparison. So this is now I know a danger zone because it feels this like what I was doing then. Yep. Yep. And you know an, another thing that I had incorrect that I'm gonna also now again apologize to anyone that I misled or mistaught was I had been under the impression that there were over 20 some level 3 details marked out and I had in my head 22, 23 level 3 details marked out now I don't know how that information came into my head wrong but that's what I had in my head when we look at this it was set or was it five? They had five level three details marked out. I had in my head again over twenty some marked out, but they had only marked five. They're all in that region again, right within those fifteen level uh, level two features. But um, I I don't know if I had combined them, you know, added five plus the fifteen and some, and got over twenty some feature. I don't know how that happened, but. Um, they clearly only had five marked out. And so if I, at any point, if anyone ever heard me say they had over 20 some marked out, that was incorrect on my part. I apologize. I am revisiting this and learning it all over again for myself. You know what? Just taking a look at what they've marked out, the the two on the, these are yellow circles again on pages 44 and 45. The two on the right, and they actually do look pretty good. Uh, the one on the top right is kind of a ridge with two little, I don't know, little nuggets, little dots. Not a dot, you know, but two little pebbles, I guess, underneath the ridge. And in the known, that's kind of what's there. And uh, the one on the bottom right is this is a little, just a little break where the ridge kind of starts to do an over-under handshake mm-hmm. kind of thing. And it's kind of there too, so... Now the other three on the left, eh, you know they're they're you know not as convincing. And the top one on the top left is just I, I don't know what they were circling there. Um, that, that's just a big blob. But uh, it, again, I can kind of see what they were what 
what they were circling there for those two on the right. Yeah. So if you have the 15 level 2, and then a few of these level 3, and then you've got these other 7 points that do correspond to features, they're just out of sequence up in the you know 10 o'clock and 12 o'clock, you can begin to understand, which is actually what I've always said, and just if any, any folks associated with the FBI or associated with this case, I've always said from the very beginning that when I first started as an examiner, I did not have a good grasp of distortion. I would push the envelope and um, made some very bold identifications, I think, early in my career that I would not make today. And I said from the beginning, and I would continue to say, especially at that time in my career, I definitely could not say that I would have avoided this error. I can't say it. I wouldn't say it. If I was especially the third person in this case or the fourth person in this case, and very experienced people have identified it, and not having a good grasp of distortion or a good, really good grasp of level 3 detail and so on, and I see uh, you know, 15 points that someone's marked out and these you know, level 3 details, and then 4 and 3 points, but there's a triple tap and I can use that as an explanation, I I can I can certainly see myself at that time having made something like this, which is why I really respected my colleague Josh, who had a very good grasp of distortion, coming back and saying, "No, these are not separate impressions." Again, he didn't know what case this was; he knew nothing about what what these images were, and uh, you know, excluded it very quickly. So. I, w- it w- I would like to think that if I was in my own agency, the first thing I would have done would trace out the ridges. And if you do trace the ridges, those little level two differences become a little more apparent. Right. And I like back in that time, I like to trace ridges in these complex cases. I'm hoping I would have given it to him as my verifier. And he would have said, Glenn, you're frigging crazy. You're, this is not <laughs> happening. But, yeah. you know, I, I can, I, I've always said it and I do firmly believe if, especially if eight minutia would be acceptable to you to make an identification, you can really see how tempting that would be because you can find eight minutia in relative correspondence in this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a couple things. First of all, uh, at the time, again, you know, take yourself back to, to Glenn in 1994. <laughs> um, <laughs> 1985. Uh, how... How uh, how much use did you get out of IAFIS? Like, how, was this a was that a frequent thing that you would search, or were, was your agency even connected to IAFIS at the time? <laughs> it, it, yeah, we weren't even connected until two thousand four. I, I I think at the end of maybe two thousand three, beginning of two thousand four, we just got connected. I was probably one of the first examiners to be routinely using it in two thousand four. Got it. So when this happened, that was you know <laughs> extra scary. Well, that, that's the thing is, is I think that's that's a big part of this, and the OIG report I think talks a little bit about that and how how searches through a large database you know would tend to lead to this kind of situation, and examiners maybe in general at the time didn't quite appreciate that uh, as much as hopefully you know we all do uh, now. Well, I can definitely tell you because that's around the time a year or two later when I started teaching the ACE-B class and was talking to people about pattern force and the need to 
I'll be cautious when searching databases that it does matter. And yeah, routinely, I mean, I was hearing from students, it doesn't matter. And I didn't, and I didn't. It doesn't matter if it's a database huh. or the police. It doesn't matter. And I didn't, and I didn't. Like, well, no, it does. And, you know, we've talked about this in other episodes. Although, apparently you're being called out on CLPEX about it. Yeah, I'm not wor- having <laughs> enough research to back that up. I'm, I'm <laughs> That's working a whole on other that. episode. I'm working on getting a response to that. I, I've, I've been really busy this past week. Uh, so I, I, I'm clarifying a few things uh, on the side, and then I'm going to post back on the board here soon. But uh, yeah, Or we'll get that person as a guest on the show. That's that's also another thing that I was, I'm looking forward to. Uh, yes. But, you know, relating it back to this one here, I, I think that this is that pattern force kind of thing where, um, granted, it's it's essentially a... Uh, an arch right Uh, Right. maybe a a one count loop Uh, but what you get with that is essentially both sides of the print the left and the right are the outflow of a loop that that type of impression where you have all the minutia you know facing the same direction uh, and in different prints with this same overall shape you would tend to see uh, ridge endings all flowing in this direction you know, ending out to the right, ending out to the left, uh, and <clears throat> basically all the minutiae, all 15, exactly where they've marked them, are all fairly generic minutiae. As I'm looking at it right now, all 15 of them are facing the direction that you would expect them to face uh, yes. in in this area of the print. Uh, which then makes them all more a little more generic and makes them all worth not quite as much uh, as if they were facing the opposite direction as what you would expect. Yeah, right, right. Okay, so going back to our timeline, um, you know, the this is on the 22nd of March. Now on April 13th, so this is weeks later, you know, there's a, a little bit of back and forth between the Spanish police here and the FBI, but basically the FBI has got to be thinking, what the fuck? Why? Why? <laughs> how come they? What? What's going on? But the Spanish police come back and say negativo. And again, I I do remember this being at Swigfast and a lot of discussion of what did that report mean. So very similar to the U.S., we might say not identified. It's not clear if the Spanish said an exclusion. This person can be excluded, or if they were saying, well, I just don't have enough here. Or, eh, yeah, there's lots of agreement, but I can't explain this difference, so not identified. Um, there, that was that was really difficult for them to figure out what they were trying. What the FBI did not know what the Spanish police were saying. Well, wow, I what I, I just see this thing here. I've never actually come across this before. Uh, in the OIG report is actually the they call it the Negativo report. The actual letter that that the Spanish National Police sent to the FBI is printed here in the report yes yes um, it's great yeah wow that's uh that's fantastic um but here's the thing that's always caught got me is this kind of attitude that they had of where they'd they'd they flew after this they flew to spain to explain yes. it to the spanish national national police <laughs> yes right like oh no 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 you guys you know this this attitude of of I don't know, superiority or uh, or arrogance. I, I don't know what, kind of what went along with it, but not not a a discussion, right? Of well, show me what you're seeing. And, and 
Right. And that's another thing that I always say when I talk about this. I would hope that if I was ever in a situation where someone issued a negative report on an ID that I'd made, my first reaction would be, wait, okay, show me what you're seeing. Like, uh, you know, I, I want to see what you're seeing instead of, no, 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 no. Here, let me just show you what, what you know how, how I did this because you know I'm so awesome at comparing. Um, yeah, you you talked about that in, in the Dandridge case as well. Yeah, that, yeah. You know when that examiner came in and said no, there was you know an error here, or then I don't know if he said there's an error here, but said that you know this is not a match. I can't you know it's not identified. Um, you had the the same reaction, and you know this is one of the things that again I found very endearing. Again, hearing at Swigfast as well as hearing from various individuals, and if you read the OIG report further, you know they say yes, this definitely contributed it. This hubris, this pride, where the FBI we've never made a mistake like this. We're the best of the best of the best. You know these Spanish police, they're point counters. They don't use level right. three detail. I mean, you know, they they were very honest about that. That, that you're right. They they went over there to not have a discussion, but to show the Spanish police what features they could use to make the ID and why the Spanish police were wrong for not calling it. And and it comes out later too that it was a failed opportunity to see the original evidence as well. They they did not look at the original evidence when they were over there, or the you know the span the the Spanish police and and have this discussion. But you know that's it was part of the the contributing factors. Right. Okay. So now we're into May now, and the FBI has started their investigation of Mayfield. Now this was really fascinating too, because once the report is issued on the nineteenth. The uh, FBI offices in Portland go into action and start essentially bugging Mayfield. And uh, they had broken into his office and they were taking photos of his document. I think they'd gone on his computer. Uh, They were basically, uh, under the Patriot Act, they were treating him as as a domestic terrorist. So, you know, they, they... basically constantly monitored every communication you know listening on his phone conversations all these other things and that's that's what i'm hoping we can get to a little bit in another couple of episodes find out more about that side of it but you have to realize that when the fbi agents were informed hey here's this guy mayfield take a look at him and then they go and find he's a muslim he goes to this mosque. <laughs> right. At this mosque is where one of the Portland Seven attended. He, like you said, um, was involved or defended him in a custody case. He's got all you know other you know Muslim clients and uh, involvements here. This has to be to them like, oh, okay, we got the guy. I mean, clearly we got the guy. <laughs> of it's just an unbelievable coincidence. It it couldn't oh, have gone gone yeah. down. Any other cre- well, I've heard a number of people, and I was part of that group too, that cynical group that went, yeah, at some point coincidence ends and reality sets in, and there must have been some watch list. There must have been, you know, some, he must have already, but no, when you read the facts of this, you just see it's a crazy, unbelievable coincidence, and it really, you can see how the bias would have set in with the agents. Right. But the original examiners would not have known that. This is also really important, and the OIG report brings this out. At some point, the FBI examiners later 
knew now these details about who they had identified in this case. And it's not clear, according to the OIG report, if that knowledge of his Islamic background prevented them from ever revisiting their their decision. You know, once they uh, heard yeah, about that, did that, that did that now reconfirm in their mind, oh yeah, we got the right guy. And so when the Spanish police are saying, no, no, you don't, was it just FBI pride and we've never made a mistake where the FBI was that the factor that they didn't go back to which could have been that um, or in some part and we also know these details about him trust us we know we've got the right guy it's 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 not the the OIG report doesn't ever say but simply says it's more complicated to dissect that and that could have contributed and yep you can see how human nature when you get a hit in APHIS and if you do see the fingerprint card at some point and it says the county the person lives in and that's where the burglary was done oh and by the way the card that you hit on was his 10th burglary you can see how that might contribute to a reconfirmation in your head right oh well i, I got the right guy right it, heck even if yeah like you said if it's just the same county if it's the Heck, even even the other way around. You know, if it just happens, what you know, what if you get that coincidence where you have the victim list, listed on the back of the uh, of the lift card by the officer, and you just happen right. to have someone who has the same name come up on the candidate list? You know, um, right? You know, brother, sister, yeah. So anyway, yep. So I mean that that those details all are fascinating and very human. And again, you can see how it human. Human nature, human error can can be and was a big part of this, right? You know, okay, uh, you know, saying all these details to uh, to attorneys uh, in in that um, forensic science academy class, uh, the first the, <laughs> the first reaction is is just disbelief. You know, that's that's the especially the defense attorneys. They just refuse to believe that the that the uh, examiners didn't have this information that he was right. Uh, Muslim, right? And and what kind of can maybe convince them is is uh how all the subsequent activity of the arrest and the bugging and, and all this other stuff you know that was on the agents who learned all these facts but the original decision uh was was just clean and and even then some people are just like nope they must have you know yeah. they work for the fbi they can look up anything right 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 so then you know this investigation of mayfield goes on for several weeks and on May 4th, there's this media leak. Now, the OIG report never figures out where the media leak came from, um, but it gets leaked. And so the media is going to start talking about the suspect, and or Mayfield at the time was a suspect. And so the, the agents, to make sure they don't lose evidence, they jump on it. They get a warrant. They, they, they make the arrest. So he's arrested on May 4th. And that's when now the clock starts ticking because he's got about two weeks before his hearing. Um, and, and in that time is when uh, Mayfield hires an independent expert to look at the fingerprint evidence. Now, this is something I'll uh, hopefully talk about again in another couple of episodes. This is when I read about it in the papers when he gets arrested. Because I've got this clipping, I'll have to find it, but I've got this clipping of uh, Mayfield and his attorney at the time. Uh, the attorney was making a statement that said, you know, my client is innocent of this crime. Um, I'm sure the truth will come out. And this is what was said in this little paper clipping. It mentioned that, um, talked about Mayfield's background, you know, converted to Islam, and that 
he had defended someone or involved was you know in the court case with someone from the Portland Seven, and then he he had clients who you know were of this Islamic background. And what the attorney said at that time was there must be a reasonable explanation for how his print got on that plastic bag. Right, Mayfield must have sent something to one of his clients. And that bag got reused in this crime. There is an innocent explanation for how his print got on there. So even from the beginning, they were very accepting. The FBI must have identified him. But then were, they were developing a theory of how his print might have been on a plastic bag by having sent something to one of these individuals. Which to me, if there was – especially in light of no – there's, there were no um, details of him having left the country in over 10 years to which you know the story became well he must have slipped into Canada and then left that way <laughs> but there were, right. there are no records of him having left the United States and how his print could have gotten over there but I felt that his attorney was coming up with somewhat of a reasonable explanation of how that might have happened well some of these the details here in the report even suggest that the the FBI agents that investigate him investigating him seemed to have this theory that he wasn't didn't actually go to spain but that he had touched this bag while it was in the u.s right Um, even if he you know there if they were operating under the assumption that he was guilty of being involved in the bombing that he'd still touched it here in the u.s or like the his attorney's theory of it was just um coincidence but still that he touched the bag here and that somehow it got across there yeah, because at the time, who would have thought, you know, no no one could have, you know, no one involved, the FBI agents, the defense attorneys, no one could imagine the scenario that the FBI fingerprinting examiners just got it wrong. Right, exactly. I mean, even when you know, my professor, um, a friend who was at that BCA tour I mentioned in the last episode, said, yeah, and the FBI made a mistake. My first reaction was, no, they didn't. <laughs> no, we'll we'll be hearing about this very soon when I'm at Swigfast. But now nah, I'm 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 sure that the the papers just must have misunderstood right. what was happening. Yeah, and especially when she's no no, and now they're saying it's no value. I immediately thought no, the papers got it wrong. Someone must have looked at it and said there it was insufficient for an ID. So there must have been some disagreement about sufficiency. But I'm sure that it's a valid. They got the right person. They just they must be marginal in there. I just. I immediately wrote it off as, no, 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 no. The media just doesn't understand the nuances of this case or something. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. So we're going to start – I think we're going to wrap this up probably right around here or so. But uh, the last thing to mention with our timeline is that – so then, yes, Mayfield hires his own independent expert, Ken Moses, um, who agreed with the FBI's decision. Now – Ken Moses gave this fantastic presentation in 2004 that was this anatomy of the error. And it was one of the best and most fascinating uh, presentations I've ever sat through. It was standing room only. There must have been three, 400 people crammed into this in this hall to hear Ken Moses, who could at the time talk about it because the FBI could not talk publicly about the case. Right. And so Ken was able to talk about it. And at the very last minute, Steve Meager, who was not one of the examiners involved in the, at the FBI in this, but came on later to get involved and look at things, he was given permission to talk about it. But that's Steve. Steve was one of the few exceptions <laughs> at the FBI who 
found a way and was able to talk about things that no one else would have been able to. So to hear him and Moses talk about the case, it really was just an unbelievable presentation. But Moses talked several times about this instinct in his gut. Something didn't feel right. It just didn't quite make sense. He should have listened to that voice, but then he he did and he admitted it. The the uh, the influence of these other examiners that he knew he knew who they were, you know he uh, he he saw what their conclusions were, and even though he had these differences, he was able to explain them away with this triple tap, this break in the print that allowed him to go. No, no, I can I can dismiss these differences. It must all fit. But you know we can see now that uh, you know, obviously it's uh, Moses had come forward and just basically said no. I mean I I made a mistake and I, I should have listened to my gut. Right. All right. Well, um, so that's the timeline and uh, a, a quick preview, Glenn, for for our third part of this. Uh, what are we going to cover next time? Well, we'll finish up some of the things about the timeline and then get into the causes of the air. Causes. Got it. All right. Uh, so uh, thank you all for listening again. Uh, stick around for one more episode on Brent Mayfield, uh, Madrid train bombing uh, comparison, erroneous identification. And uh, don't forget to listen to us every week on Stitcher, SoundCloud, or on iTunes. Email us in any questions that you have, eric at rayforensics.com or glenn at eliteforensicservices.com. And join us next week. Bye, everybody. Have a good week. music provided on this podcast by Mevio's Music Alley. Check it out at music.mevio.com. 